morning church and happy Christmas to everyone. The reading is from Hebrews 10 from verse 5 to 7. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. This is the word of God. Good. Well, hey, thank you very much. It would uh, be a great help to me if you could have your Bible open at Hebrews 10 um, and the passage that Faith just read for us. And before we begin, I just want to say a special thank you to the children again for doing such a brilliant job and also to those who decorated the hall and uh, who, of course, have done it out of love. Love for Jesus and love for you. So, ladies, thank you very much indeed for that. And we'll just give the shepherds one moment to make their final exit. And uh, a holy hush will then descend upon us. <laughs> well, let's quieten our hearts before the Lord and then we'll come to his word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for one another and the opportunity to gather together in freedom to read the Christmas story. We pray that you would unfold it to our hearts and minds with fresh clarity and transforming power. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder whether you might agree with the statement that it is possible to like Christmas too much. Uh, Andy Park is an electrician by trade, uh, but he calls himself Mr. Christmas because he absolutely loves Christmas. And uh, he claims to have celebrated Christmas every single day since the 14th of July, 1993. Uh, So every single day he arranges cards and presents for himself Uh, He has a turkey dinner every day, and then he watches recordings of the Queen's speech. Uh, Somebody's calculated that uh, over the years he's consumed more than 9,000 turkeys, uh, over 100,000 mince pies, and washed it all down with 10,000 bottles of sherry and 10,000 bottles of wine. Perhaps unsurprisingly, in 2015, his doctor advised him to at least slow down a bit, or ideally stop, and uh, he managed to do it for about a fortnight. But then he returned to his daily routine because, in his own words, I love Christmas too much. Well, in a sense, I'm right up there with Andy Park. I love Christmas, and I'm sure you do too. But uh, celebrating Christmas just once a year is enough. Because the point, uh, the point I want us to take away this morning that I want you to latch on to, is that Christmas was never meant to be an end in itself. Now why do I say that? 
Well, the answer is in the passage that Faye just read so beautifully for us, Hebrews 10, 5-7. And I do hope that you'll agree with me, right up the front, that this is a Christmas text. I wonder whether you've ever seen it that way before. Uh, Notice in verse 5, it speaks about Jesus Christ coming into the world and a body being prepared for him. And then in verse 7, Jesus uh, takes words from Psalm 40 to express his whole purpose for coming into the world. Verse 7, Jesus says, I have come to do your will, O God. So quite clearly, this is a Christmas text. But uh, it comes in a passage in the letter to the Hebrews which is explaining that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross replaces all the other sacrifices that came before it. That's the message of Hebrews chapter 10. What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to deal with all our sin, past, present and future. And uh, that tells us, you see, the purpose of Christmas. So, as one writer puts it, and I think this is, this is brilliant, it's so simple, but it's, it's so profound. He says, Christmas came to make Easter possible. In other words, Jesus Christ came to do the will of God in, the, in that very specific way, by offering himself as a perfect sacrifice for sin. Therefore, Christmas was never meant to be an end in itself. Andy Park clearly hasn't understood that. Because the beginning of Jesus' life on earth was always with a view to the end of his life on earth through his death on the cross. And that, you see, is why so many churches right the way around the world, and particularly in the Anglican Communion, celebrate the Lord's Supper on Christmas Day. Because on the very day that we remember his birth, we also remember his death. So we don't have coffee after the service today, but we do have communion. Now I guess traditionally at this time of year we like to reflect on the year that is past, and usually for most of us there are things to celebrate and be really, really thankful for, and when we think of those things they make us wonderfully happy. And at the same time, there are also things we wish we'd done differently. It might be uh, a personal objective that we didn't achieve, or it might be something we did at work, or in the context of a personal relationship that didn't really work out too well. If we're Christians, it might be some aspect of our walk with God where we know we've strayed from the way where we know we've been unfaithful. And of course when we think of those things, or at least when I think of those things, uh, I wince with sadness. So friends, it is very good news indeed at Christmas that it was the purpose of Jesus' birth and his life and his death to do the will of God perfectly for us. So let me read verses 5 to 7 again. I think Matthew will kindly put them on the screen for us. Because I really want you to fasten these verses, there are only three of them, 
Fasten these verses into your mind this morning. Verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, first Christmas day, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And as I mentioned, Hebrews makes its point by quoting Psalm 40, which he assumes are not just the words of King David, but also the words of the Son of David, the Lord Jesus. In fact, Uh, if you think about it, the Psalms actually often function like this. Uh, They make the most sense when we see them on the lips of Jesus. Even when the psalmist is talking about his own sin. Of course, in the life of David, who wrote Psalm 40, some of those sins were off the chart terrible, really technicolour sins. But they're rightly spoken of by Jesus, the son of David, as belonging to him. Because, you see, on the cross, he takes all our sins on himself. So, in the light of all of that, I think the question arising from our text this morning, Hebrews 10, 5-7, is what exactly is God looking for from his people? What does he desire most? As a friend of mine puts it rather well, what does God want from me most? if I'm a Christian. Well, clearly, animal sacrifices are not pleasing to God. Verse 6 makes that abundantly clear, doesn't it? Look at verse 6 again. Speaking to God the Father, Jesus says, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Now, you know, when you think of the thousands and thousands of animal sacrifices that uh, took place in the temple in the Old Testament, is that not a staggering statement? Especially when we remember that all of those sacrifices were commanded by God's law. But you see, the point is that that system was always open to abuse. Because people could offer their sacrifices and then wash their hands and think, job done. As long as the priest does his bit and he burns the lamb or the goat that I brought to the temple, well, that's terrific, and now I can get on with my life the way that I want to. And you and I make the same assumption in our minds today, do we not? Because we convince ourselves, you see, that a little bit of Sunday worship and maybe Christmas and Easter means that Monday to Saturday can be a God-free zone. Am I close? Is that right? Yeah. But you see, the real sacrifice that God always wanted was the willing sacrifice of the worshipper all day, every day. God does not have a thing about animal sacrifice. That is a pagan view of God. It is a false view of God. What God really values is someone anyone who surrenders their will completely to him. Someone who does what God wants out of love and devotion 
to him. Now, I hope as soon as I say that, you can see the problem. Because people like that are in extremely short supply. In fact, in the history of the entire human race, there's only ever been one person like that. One person only who said from his heart, Here I am. I have come to do your will, O God. And of course, that person was Jesus. At one point in his life, he went on to say, I always do what pleases God, John chapter 8. And you could say that that was the motto for his entire life on earth. And here, in Hebrews 10, Jesus says to the Father, I have come to do your will. And of course he demonstrated that supremely, didn't he, in his willingness to die. So here is somebody who is 100% committed to doing God's will, no matter what the cost, in a way that you and I are never committed. And uh, we don't know for sure what scroll he's talking about here, but elsewhere in the New Testament, the scroll was a means whereby God revealed his will to certain people at certain times for a certain purpose. So I take it that God revealed his will for Christ on a specific scroll, we don't have it, and Jesus embraced God's will for his life perfectly and without reservation. He committed himself to doing God's will in a way that you and I never do. Well, to the writer, to the Hebrews, the conclusion was obvious. God sets aside one thing, uh, in this case the Old Testament sacrifices, to establish forever something different, something new. Jesus' self-offering. And we could add to that that even our very best efforts can't buy God's favour, however hard we might try, whether it's giving to good causes or attendance at church or personal Bible reading and prayer. Those things can't bring peace with God. They can't. Now, don't mishear me. Uh, I'm not for one moment saying those are bad things. But you see, they can't make us perfect before God. No human rituals, no spiritual disciplines can make us perfect before God or deal with our failure to do God's will consistently. And, by the way, they were never intended to. But, Jesus' 100% commitment to God's will does do the job perfectly. So, if you've got your Bible open, I think Matthew will help us on the screen. You can see that's the conclusion in verse 10, where the writer says, and by that will... We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And then he actually uses the word perfect in verse 14. Please have a look at it. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So friends, Isn't it a good thing to know on Christmas morning that perfection 
is possible. And that's because when Jesus Christ sacrificed himself, an exchange was made. God treated him as if he had been you and me. And as a result, God very wonderfully views us as if we had lived the life of Jesus ourselves. 100% committed to doing God's will. And as a result, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ. And if you're a Christian this morning, that is how God sees you. One of my uh, heroes from the last century uh, was a man called Gresham Machen. Uh, He was an American and a rather quirky bachelor, if the truth be known. But uh, he took a stand against the spiritual drift of the Presbyterian Church in North America about a hundred years ago. Because at that time, the Presbyterians were rejecting anything remotely supernatural, uh, which meant that, amongst other things, they didn't believe in Christmas. And Gresham Machen stood pretty much alone against their unbelief. Now, his last recorded words were sent in a telegram on New Year's Day, 1937. And uh, he'd contracted pneumonia whilst on a preaching tour in North America in very, very cold conditions. And uh, on his deathbed, he sent a telegram to a friend on the faculty of Westminster Theological Seminary. And this is what he said. Listen to this. I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. So thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. In other words, with his own death just moments away, Gresham Machen was standing on Jesus' record and on his own. And in the face of death, the active obedience of Jesus was his security. A life that was committed to his very last drop of blood to doing God's will. No hope without it. But with the active obedience of Christ, there is every hope. Because, you see, if we trust in him, we have been made holy. That's the message of Hebrews 10. Now, I know that we often feel unholy and feel rather impure. We might feel dirty because of something that we've done or because of something that's been done to us. And maybe we think, well, I'd only pollute heaven even if I got there. Well, if you ever doubt whether as a sinner you could be made clean, perfectly clean before God, ask yourself this question. Which is greater? The evil and the filth of my life or the value of Jesus' perfect life and the power of the blood of the Son of God? Now you see, my prayer is that this passage would produce in us a desire to do the will of God. 
Now, of course, we can't say, none of us can say like Jesus does here, I have come to do your will. As if us showing up is anywhere near as significant as the arrival of Jesus on the first Christmas day 2,000 years ago. Obviously not. But, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say, I desire to do your will, O God. And the Spirit of Jesus within us would love to pray like, love us to pray like that. I mean, what a terrific motto that would be for us, wouldn't it, in 2021. I desire to do your will, O God. And I wonder if you've ever really prayed like that. Sounds rather threatening, I think, doesn't it, at first value? Um, I mean, how can I fully commit myself in advance, not knowing what that might actually mean. Will God's will for me be the best thing for me? But you see, if we've taken our stand on Jesus, the one who prayed that way, I desire to do your will, the one who went to the cross for us, well, Surely the wheels of our mind can turn in such a way, can't they, that we can say to ourselves with confidence, how could he ever want me to commit myself to doing his will if that was going to turn out badly? And with a love like that, written not only into the pages of scripture, but actually into the pages of history, how could it be wrong and dangerous for us to commit ourselves to the love of God and to the will of God for our lives. So yes, it is a great prayer to pray. It's a great response to this particular passage for us, provided we're clear in our minds that Jesus came to do the will of God and it is his self-offering that enables our self-offering. The one who came into the world saying I have come to do your will O God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus we bow before you this morning. When you came into the world at Christmas, it was not the start of your existence. You are the eternal God, mighty in the heavens, without whom nothing was made that has been made. You are the awesome Lord of creation, and we worship you. We marvel that you were willing to enter our world as a baby, and to pledge yourself to doing your Father's will, knowing from the start how much it would cost. And we thank you that you did it perfectly, so that our sins could be forgiven, and our lives could be transformed. And we pray that your finished work would do its work in our lives, as we offer ourselves afresh to you this morning. And we pray these things, Lord Jesus, for the honour and glory of your great name.
to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Just have a moment of quiet to reflect on our lives and whether that desire in us to do God's will is there. And to ask him to bring to mind those times when we have knowingly disobeyed him and then we'll confess our sins together. Just have a moment of quiet. Hebrews 12 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning in shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, let's uh, confess our sins, saying together the confession as it appears on the screen. Merciful Lord, we confess our sins of this past year, sins of omission and commission, of sour and angry temper, of hard-heartedness, unbelief and pride, of fear of men and shame of Christ, of deceit in our dealings with others, sins in private and in the family, in work and recreation, in time misspent or wasted, in study of the word or neglect of it, Sins in prayer, irreverent or withheld, in yielding to Satan's temptations, in quenching the Spirit's power. Have mercy on us, Lord. Pardon all our sins, known and unknown, felt and unfelt, confessed and unconfessed, remembered and forgotten. Good Lord, hear and hearing, forgive us. In Jesus' name. Amen. And hear the assurance of pardon from Hebrews 10, the passage we looked at today, but a little bit later in the chapter, verses 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water
Well, for those of you who are new to us celebrating the Lord's Supper in these socially distanced times, you'll find one of these things on your seat or under your seat. And they are a bit fiddly, so take a moment and try and draw back the cellophane on the top uh, and put your finger on the wafer. Let's start there. And this is a family meal. Um, so if you haven't yet committed yourself to the Lord, uh, then sit this one out. Think about uh, what we've been talking about this morning. We're delighted you're here. And if you have questions arising from the passage or from any aspect of what's happened here this morning, do please come and talk to me or one of the team afterwards. But for the rest of us, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. when we look, look at the grape juice and do by all means uh, peel back the cellophane on top it's a, it's a symbol of Christmas isn't it? The purpose of Christmas is blood and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ which was shed for you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life drink this in remembrance that his blood was shed for you and be thankful so greatly loved us, long sought us, and mercifully redeemed us. Give us grace that in everything we may yield ourselves, our wills, and our works a continual thank-offering to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And to ask the music team to come forward as we sing our closing carol. Let's stand and let's sing together.